we first lost power. Then we start losing AM and FM radios. Then it was the National Weather Service Station. That's when we know that thing is going to get real and it's going to get close and personal. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. First responders are known for heading into danger, not away from it. First responders take many forms. Nurses and doctors facing COVID, EMTs rushing to the scene of an accident, firefighters bravely entering a burning building, police officers answering a 911 call for help, images of brave men and women responding to the crisis and the chaos around us. Perhaps an image that does not come to mind is that of the IT professional. Yet today's guest is just that, an IT first responder. This is Status Go, and I'm your host, Jeff Tun. My guest today is Melvin Jose Velasquez Feliciano. Melvin lives and works in the southern region of Puerto Rico. That part of the island has been devastated by hurricanes, earthquakes, and yes, COVID-19. Melvin's story of how he turned the catastrophe of Hurricane Maria into a career based on service is an amazing story. Welcome to the show, Melvin. Thank you, Jeff. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for the opportunity given to uh, to be on your podcast. Thank you so much. It is our pleasure, Melvin, and uh, I'm very excited for our conversation today. So there's a gripping story about you that was written by the Information Technology Disaster Resource Center, and it's on your LinkedIn profile. Let's pick up the story there. You were an IT professional, and at the time, you were teaching at the university. Maria hits. Talk us through those next few days and weeks. Well, Jeff, uh, it was in September of uh, 2017. Uh, it was uh, it was actually the last week of September, and we were always uh, in this highway of hurricanes. So, in the middle of of the Atlantic, the storm started growing and growing, and we we're seeing how it's swallowing all of the Virgin Islands, and it's coming right at us. Not only preparedness and readiness, but we've never seen something so big. So huge. I remember Hurricane Andrew when I was a kid on TV. Even though that I lived in Puerto Rico, but we saw what happened in Florida. So, as you said, I was working as an IT professional, full time for a um, pharmaceutical industry, global industry, and also part time at a college teaching classes. Hurricane hit us probably between 2 p.m. Uh, I still have all the notes and recollections how we start losing different communications. We first lost power. Then we start losing AM and FM radios. Then it was the National Weather Service Station. That's when we know that thing is going to get real and it's going to get close and personal. About 3 p.m., we lost all cell towers where I was leaving. So next day, 
after the storm passed, that's when uh, we started looking at our community and the people surrounding us. Uh, it took me to get to my job 40 minutes drive when it's actually like a 10 minute drive. There's all the debris. And when I got there, I saw that also at the company and at the other part-time job that I that I had, that we have actually lost all infrastructure from the outside. Fiber optics were on the ground, copper cables were on the ground. We only have power, but we didn't have any communications. That just is a, a, a had to have been a stunning experience uh, to be to be totally cut off from everything. And yet you took that experience and it inspired you to focus and begin volunteering for the ITDRC and helping businesses. So what was it in that experience that enabled you or pushed you in that direction where you thought, I'm going to help other people recover from disasters? Well, sir, uh, from my personal experience, uh, with no communication, there is no coordination. And there is also this uh, fear of not knowing where you're standing at. There's no way how to get situational awareness uh, because w when you were changing from different FM station or AM stations, you could not only hear nothing. There was only noise, noise around you. Uh, first responders, they lost all of their repeaters. So they will also were not being able to use their hand or their walkie-talkies to communicate maybe between half a mile between them. Uh, cell phones were being used only by like like compass or video. So I started taking notes and I said, how can we become better? How can we learn from Hurricane George in 1998 where we also lost power, but we got we did not lose communications. And I started looking outside the box uh, from this person that, that was a great mentor that he was teaching about about resilience and um, people were thinking inside the box or thinking outside the box. And I remember his name was Nick, and Nick told us at the end, let's do something different, Jeff. Let's get rid of the box. And when you get rid of the box, there's no rules. It's, it's like you have this panoramic view. You can expand and move with your scope. And that is why I started seeing that the, the private sector after Hurricane Maria become and actually became a beacon, a beacon of hope for the community in that darkness. There was no light, but at least they have big generators. So I, I actually uh, named this situation the beacon, a beacon of hope. You can become a, a light. The private sector become that light for the community because the government was uh, taking a long time uh, moving from San Juan to the south. The island was completely uncommunicated. For five days at least, uh, I couldn't cross a river just to see if my family members were alive. 
were okay. So I started with that, with the beacon of hope. And to have that beacon of hope, you have to have uh, two definitions. One is for readiness and one is for preparedness. I know if you do a search, uh, they seem mm -hmm. similar. But readiness is the state of being fully prepared for something. I like to call it as your muscle memory. And preparedness is a base of set of actions that you actually take as a precaution measures to face a potential disaster. That is how we define it on business continuity, disaster recovery, uh, in IT, in great incidents. So what I always like to tell my clients, family and members, people that, that wanna be more resilient is, you need to prepare yourself. You need to research. You need to have situational awareness of what you want to create that muscle memory. If you don't learn about hurricanes, you don't know, uh, you don't learn about earthquakes, you will not be able to be ready for it. You will not have muscle memory for it. And that, that's going to save lives. And that action also is going to save business. Yeah. So, Melvin, we met a few years ago at a disaster recovery conference. I think it was Orlando. I know it was somewhere in Florida, but... ITDR is something that's top of mind for many IT professionals. It's something that we at least think about, uh, hopefully at least once a year, but hopefully more often than that. But what is your approach beyond, as you were describing, readiness and preparedness? What are the, what's some of the approach that you counsel your companies, your customers on the islands about ITDR? What are some of the things you're helping them do? Yeah, but when I go to my clients and I ask them, I uh, said, what do you know about ITDR, disaster recovery or, or incident management? And, and they just tell me the same thing. Well, when, when, when I get hacked uh, or when, when I, somebody stole my password or encrypted my email or there's a virus in a pen drive. And I always uh, take notes to the clients. And at the end, I said, hey, IT change from the scope that it was like a operational department now be, have become a business support department. They support your business. But in order to support your business, you have to have a great knowledge management system. You got to know your staff. Mm -hmm. You got to know your skill sets of your staff. Uh, if they've been trained, then you go to your vendors. Then... Uh, do you look at your policies or your service level agreement? It's not only if the server power supply burns out. It's what is your primary services that if you have this pain, but you can continue to serve. If you were to look at a bank, for example, that's the always the sample that I give to, to my clients is, uh, if they are involved in a disaster like Hurricane Maria, their priority for them was not to make loans, not to make new mortgages, uh, not to spend credit cards. That actually their priority was to have you a balance that you can take money in, money out. 
So that's a thing that they actually, uh, their scope for disaster, they thought that, okay, I have a, this business and I offer 40 services to my different mm-hmm. clients, but if a disaster applies to me or I get impacted, I have to have my 40 services running out in less than 30 minutes. And then you take them by the drills and say, hey, this is not realistic unless you have your budget to have a great system like mirroring services, cloud services, and hybrid services. The executives need to have a great communication levels with the IT staff. You, you have to always involve your IT staff in drills and in, in the meetings that you need to, you have to have your people in. Uh, if you have an important migration for your accounting software, things like that, you need to have your IT staff um, oriented and also great knowledge management, uh, Jeff. I, I've seen people that the disaster were impacted by a human factor because uh, the IT guy just left the company. Right, right. Uh, I experienced a buddy of mine and he just naturally he passed away and it was something else because he had everything in security and he was only one man show. Yeah. So we had to bring in vendors and all the stuff. And he had it all in his Not head. Only you have right? to deal he, with Yeah. He yeah. had it everything in his yeah. head. Everything was encrypted there in his head and then you know he passed away and those are the things that when you start communicating with your executive, uh, they say, well, I, I never thought about that. Did that really happen? And I say, well, I can give you some examples, but, uh, you know, I cannot give you the names of yeah. the right people, right? Yeah. Because uh, of the ethics. But, yeah. So, Melvin, when, when we first spoke a few months ago, you were sharing some stories about the impact of COVID on Puerto Rico. And, and in fact, that was one of the reasons why we jumped on a call was just to exchange uh, stories and, and updates of what was going on as a result of it. And you talked about some of the things that you were doing to help those around you. And I think it would be interesting for our audience to hear from you about what was it like or what is it like because it's still going on combating a pandemic when many of the inhabitants of the islands are still in ref or at least in your area are in refugee camps because of the earthquake that happened earlier this year so now you've got a disaster on top of a disaster and you're trying to help manage that so what are some of the things that you've been able to do to help combat multiple disasters at the same time well, Jeff, I, I think that uh, all the credits uh, goes as a teamwork. I am part of Region 2 Volunteers for the ITDRC, Information Technology Disaster Resource Center, and they were present here in Hurricane Maria. So once the earthquake started in January 7, we just uh, readiness ourselves. I did not wait to any uh, of any of the instruction from Texas to start just doing situational awareness. Um, thanks also to the experience that they gave me on September of last year that I went as the second wave of deployment 10 years, I mean, 10 days, sorry, for Abaco Islands in the Bahama for Dorian. So 
I just started looking around of the disaster, start making assessment. Once the government started making the refugee camps, I've started filling forms and sending them to Texas. Still, even last night, we have a 4.2 earthquake uh, near Ponce, so yeah, still shaking. Yeah. But it was it was something else because we were always uh, looking at refugee camps under uh, hurricane seasons. So the things that we were getting is like, okay, people might get the Zika, people might get H H one or the flu, because you have a lot of people. Right. You know, there's probably not water, but now we have COVID, and it was something really really different because now. All first responders are impacted. Uh, the government agency are being impacted, and also the society. So, at the same time that I was actually uh, removing devices from camps that they were being closing out because um, people were now being moved to different locations in Puerto Rico and outside Puerto Rico, we started seeing different different lines um, and different needs. For example, school was closed, and everything about the school was had to be done online. Now we have library closes, we have uh, school closes because of the earthquake, and people are under curfew and they are not allowed to drive outside uh, certain hours and days. So one of my experience was I was uh, in this grocery making a line. Just with all my gear, you know, mask and gloves. <laughs> yeah. And anyways, it was something really emotional because I'm in, in the car right now and I'm here, there, you know, with all the stuff that I'm bringing out of different camps. And I am the, in the line getting out of a car and, and I see this guy with all his family in his, in his this Dodge caravan. And, you know, we're like nudging and talking from the same thing. And he's like so worried, you know, his kids. He has so many kids in his car. And they, they are boring. They're making him, you know, stressful. Uh, so I said to the guy, hey, uh, do they have tablets and cell phones? He goes like, yeah, but there's no service. And I say, hey, man, I have this. I had this MiFi device here, and I uh, let's do something. Just leave them with your wife inside the car, and and I will just turn on my device from my car, and they can play some games, they can watch something, and they can do some assignments. And it was it was something so so fulfilling mm -hmm. that when when I finish my line and I. I'm coming out from my grocery. I have a lot of people surrounding my car. I was like, oh, somebody broke in and stole it. And no, it was people there. And they even tried to hug me. And I said, oh, this is, it's, it's okay. I'm not going to lie. I hug a few ones. I didn't care. <laughs> hey, now, social distance. Come it's, on, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was so emotional. Yeah. But it could because you felt yourself so useful that you can see people happy uh, because they were having this, uh, they had these devices that they were on contract by different companies and they have no service and they could just send a few text message. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's something, something really different about uh, working in a pandemic and try to, to provide communications uh, 
communication is aid. Uh, without communication is uh, so difficult to coordinate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and keep people, you know, uh, in touch and together. Well, I think it's interesting, Melvin, and this has really got to be part of your your character, part of who you are as a person, that you would take these disasters and and turn them in a way to give back, to volunteer. I'd venture to guess that not many of our listeners had ever even heard of the ITDRC. Uh, hopefully they've heard of it now. And, and I know Megan, our executive producer, is going to put a link to their site in the show notes for today so people can look them up and, and maybe inspire a few people to volunteer for the those types of disasters, uh, even here in the in the continental U.S., I'm wondering if you could just spend a, a minute or two here and just where did this come from? Where did this passion for giving back, this passion for volunteerism, where did it come from in in your personality and your makeup? I think it was it was taught from my family, the way I was raised. Mm-hmm. Uh, I came uh, from a family with two present parents thankfully uh you know i had a dad that he passed away in 2014 but i still have my mom and um you know they both were raised you know with this highly moral values from society and also and in the church as as catholics Mm -hmm. they were raised in the church but also the moral values then they went to college. They had the opportunity to go to college, and they went to the uh, Catholic University also, and I followed those steps. So they got classes like philosophy, you know, so theology and human arts, classes that also, you know, inspired them to become better persons. My dad was a Vietnam vet. So I was thought really, really early, you know, about discipline and how to follow instructions and how to recognize authority. So for me to work in different environments is, is uh, I like to just to morph and think about how I was born and raised. Yeah. I use that and I apply it in my job. And, um, and those are the things, you know, that actually made me the man who I am today. They told me, that if I was at school and I saw somebody was bullied, I had to stop that. Yeah. So I was also uh, encouraged to defend my my siblings, my my little cousins, and take care of family, and uh, and take care of your community. I think that the that the most of all the values that I always carry with me, the ones that I always love and thought to everybody is trust and respect yeah, yeah. trust your teammates respect your mentors and lead by example and follow those leaders that they lead by example and you'll see you know you'll start changing people around you and the people around you will change you too i think that's a fantastic part of your story and i was smiling to myself as as you were reiterating that about your dad, because I remember on our phone call a couple of months ago, your mother was in the back room of the house. And what was she doing back there, Melvin? Do you remember? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, she was, she was actually, she, I downloaded for her from the internet, some sketch on how she can make masks. 
and she was actually in her so much and she was making masks for free for her neighbors and for a few family members. That's yeah. that's how we roll. Absolutely. <laughs> That's, how That's a great testament to your family and your upbringing. And, I, you know, I, I could talk to you all day about this and your experience, but we're coming up on our time here. And I always like to end these podcasts with a call to action for our audience, for our listeners. So I would love to ask you this final question. What are one or two things that our listeners should do tomorrow because they listen to you and I talk today. Never, never stop learning. Never stop learning. Every single skill set that you acquire is needed because we need to build a better society. Every day we need to be guaranteed that we, our children and our great-grandsons, great they will have a great future. And for that, we need to never stop learning. If you never stop learning, you will never give up. You will be resilient. Melvin, that is great advice for anyone listening, whether they're an IT professional in the tech sector, in the corporate sector, or just someone tuning in to listen to us. Uh, that is great advice to always keep learning and I can't thank you enough for your time today and your willingness to, to jump on this recording with us. I really appreciate your willingness to give back to the broader community by sharing your lessons, Melvin. So thank you. I really want to thank you, Jeff, and all the staff here that invited me to this podcast. It's been an honor, really a great honor. And I feel blessed that we actually met. And I hope that I can transfer some knowledge so that people can be more resilient, ready to and preparedness. Thank you, Jeff. Well, thank you, Melvin. And trust me when I say the honor is all ours to have you on our show. To our listeners, if you have a question or want to learn more, visit intervision.com. The show notes will have links and contact information. I think we're going to put a link to the article that I mentioned earlier that's on Melvin's LinkedIn profile. So we're going to link to that article as well as to the ITDRC. If you get so moved to volunteer, I'm sure they could use your help. This is Jeff Tun for Melvin Feliciano. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.